We are talking about desire. And in particular, the seven desires of the human heart. The seven core desires of your heart. And yet many of us have come to believe, for one reason or another, that as it pertains to this particular desires, that we need to suppress them or deny them if we are going to ever please God. I mean, good Christians can't want bad things like that, right? But what if the opposite is actually true? What if those desires were given to you by God as a means to teach you more about God and draw you closer to God? You with me? See, Psalm 37, 4 states this. This is kind of our theme verse for the year. You delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I truly pray that that you are starting to see that come to fruition, start to manifest itself in your life as it pertains to our desires for fascination and greatness, the two that we've talked about thus far. And this morning, I'm, I'm stoked to introduce to you our third desire in this series. Now, we see this desire everywhere. It's in the shows that we watch, shows like Friends or, uh, you know, This Is Us, maybe even Downton Abbey. It's in, it's in the books that we read. Fun fact, did you know romance novels bring in more money every year than any other type of publication? $1.4 billion last year alone. So, English majors, next time your parents are like, how are you going to make money with that degree? Romance, come on, let's go, let's go, you're welcome. All right, uh, speaking of, of spending money, because of this particular desire, Americans spend nearly $20 billion every year on Valentine's Day stuff. We even see this desire in, in children's books. Right now, this is my daughter's favorite book. It's called I Love You, Stinky Face. Uh, it goes something like this. A mother is putting her young son to bed when he asks a series of, of what-if questions. What if I was a slimy sea monster? You know, would you still love me then? The mom says, well, of course I would. What if I was an alien creature from Mars? Would you still love me then? Of course I would. What if I was a smelly skunk that that people called stinky face? Would you still love me then? Of course I would. What if I moved back home after college and lived in your spare room until I was 35? Would you still love me then? She's like, nope. (laughs) All right, that one's not in the book. But I think it should be, right? That would be super funny, like Appendix A, right, like millennial. But nowhere is this desire more evident than in the songs that we listen to. From Elvis Presley to Whitney Houston to Ed Sheeran, we love us a good love song, don't we? So now last, last month, I awkwardly sang some Lady Gaga for you guys, right? I sang applause, and you were kind enough to, like, not throw things at me on the stage as I was doing that. But this desire, I thought I would ask some trained professionals to sing the song. Because there is one song, there is one song in particular that I think perfectly describes this next desire. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Let's go. Let's go. Katy Perry's got nothing on our Charlotte. Am I right or am I right? Come on. It was so weird. Standing over there, I kind of felt like in The Greatest Showman, you know, when he's standing on the side, like, watching the show. I felt like that, Charlotte. I totally did. But all of these things, right, from the shows to the spending to that particular song, it all speaks to our next desire, our desire for unconditional love. 
Now, everyone from poets to psychologists, producers, even your parents have all tried to help you shape and create a definition, a working definition of of what unconditional love means, uh, exactly what it looks like. This is your desire to be wanted and valued based solely on who you are and not what you do, not what you bring to the table, not well how, how well you perform. This is the desire you have for someone to see you and to show you affection without any reservations, any limitations, any, any hesitations. This is the desire you have for someone to, to know the worst stuff about you and yet still give you their best. Right, this is the desire you have to be accepted and embraced, even though you are a stinky face. And that, that's where the problems typically start, right, when it comes to this particular desire. Because truth be told, many of us don't feel that we are worthy or that we deserve this kind of love because our worst stuff is worse than we'd like to admit to. And our ugly stuff is really, really ugly. A few years ago, a guy started a project called Post Secret. Anybody ever seen that book or been to that website? Come stop by my office. It's a super cool book. I would also encourage you to go online, postsecret.com. It was basically a community art project where he put a bunch of blank postcards on, on city park benches throughout Maryland. And he had just one instruction. A sticky note was on top. It said, share, depict, draw your deepest secret and just mail this postcard back to the other side, or to the address on the other side. And a bunch of people did it. A ton of people did it, and they continue to do it today. And as you can imagine, a lot of those cards dealt with issues of intimacy, there was body image stuff in there, abuse, but more than anything, the postcards spoke about our desire for love. Here's a couple of examples here. I I can't read it, it's too small. Something about, I I loved him, not sure if he loves me anymore. This one says, I smile all the time so nobody knows how sad and lonely I really am. This one says, I'm longing for true love, but I'm finding that it might only be possible for those women who are skinny, have a certain body type. This one, again, I can't read it, but I know it's profound because I put it in the slideshow yesterday. But it all speaks to love, right? All of these speak to love. Now, here's the thing, right? Because we all want to be loved so badly, we end up doing some bad things. The first is that we hide. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, we hide. When we come face to face with the sting of shame, with the sting of our stupidity, with the sting of our selfishness, the sting of our sin, we run and we hide. We hide from others and we hide from God. Right? Adam and Eve literally tried to cover up their mistakes with fig leaves. And they tried to hide from God out in the bushes. I feel like our set is perfect for this this morning, right? It's like, I'm going to go hide behind those trees. That's what we do, right? Adam and Eve were naked and afraid long before the show was in existence. But it's because they were ashamed. Because they knew they were created for love, but they did something that was unlovely, unlovable, and so they hid because they weren't sure what to do in that moment. And we do the exact same thing. Now, granted, we don't cover ourselves with fig leaves or hide in the bushes, and if you do, Dr. Meggs can help you kind of walk through that. But don't we hide? Oh, we hide. We hide behind our grades, our social media profiles, our, our put-together outer shells, 
Right? We live a life of half-truths, pretending that we're okay when we're not. Because we so desperately want you to love us, I want you to love me, that if I have something that's unlovely in my life, I just got to stuff it away. Because if you knew about this, if you ever saw that, you, you wouldn't love me anymore. So I'm going to hide all that stuff. If we don't hide, then, then we hope. We hope against hope that someone will like us. That someone will see us. We hope against hope that, that they will comment or, or tweet or share or retweet or whatever. Now, it doesn't seem like a, like a bad thing, but we more or less become addicted to affirmation. Think about that with me just for a second. Addicted to affirmation, right? However fickle or finite it may be, we do everything we can to try to catch the attention of another. From dressing a certain way to giving our, ourselves away sexually to, to getting all amped up when someone likes or shares a post to doing things just to get a response from people. We cling to every little bit of affection or attention because we think that's love. And we desperately want it. We desperately need it. But here's the thing with that addiction. right? The coaches typically love you until you get hurt and can't play anymore. The bros typically love you until you choose a girl over them. The girls typically love you until someone more attractive comes along. You thought your, your parents' love was pretty solid until you walked in one day and heard them talking about getting a divorce. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe, maybe you can't. Maybe you thought he would love you after you slept with him. And now you realize he just lost interest in you. Maybe you thought after you got a 4.8 GPA and became president of the club and captain of the team that your parents would finally be proud of you and love you in this way. But now you're realizing nothing is ever going to be good enough for them. Maybe you thought that if I just crossed these certain lines and did all these crazy things that all my friends were doing, then they would love me. But here's the thing. As soon as you stop doing those things, then the love is going to stop too. And you know that. The desire to be loved unconditionally, man, it has a dark side to it. And it causes us to do some really ugly things like hide or hope against hope that others will take notice. And therein lies the problem. Right? When it comes to this desire, when it comes to our desire to, to love, we always tend to look to other people right? We, we always tend to, to, to look to somebody else, to another human being, to shower us and to show us the love that our hearts desperately desire. But here's the thing, my friends. Everybody else is searching for the exact same thing. How in the world could somebody else who is just as desperate for unconditional love as you are, how could they give you something they themselves don't possess? As a poor broke college student, I wouldn't suggest asking other poor broke college students to pay off your debt. They got their own. Reminds me of that line in Post Malone's song, Goodbye. There's no way I can save you because I need to be saved too. Right? I mean, come on. No, no, no. Do not clap for that. <laughs> There's no one. Nope, 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 nope token gesture I don't appreciate it. okay but there's no way that I can show you unconditional love because I need it to I don't have it and so that's where our problems really start right we're looking to other people to satisfy this desire you cannot look to another human being to satisfy this desire you cannot you have to look to the Lord in first John 4 8 through 10 we read something incredible it says this this is love God is love. And this is how he showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. 
Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God is, well, that is a profound statement. God doesn't like to love you. He doesn't love to love you. He's not like uh, in love with love. He doesn't show love. He doesn't have love. He is love. So when he shows up, there is always love. Unlimited, unconditional amounts of it, right? When he shows up, you always get love, which means that there is nothing you could do, nothing in your past, nothing in your future that you could ever do that would get him to stop loving you because he is love. It's not something that he just shows you when he wants to. It's something that he always brings to you, always brings to you. It is a core quality. It's a key attribute of our God. And what's crazy about this text and others It says that that he loved us when there wasn't anything lovely about us. He loved us, not when we were returning love to him or when we were like acting, you know, really good and had everything put together. He didn't love us then. He loved us when it was just the opposite. He loved us when we were disregarding him, when we were discarding him. He loved us in that space and in that way. He loved us when we were covered in fig leaves and hiding in the bushes. That's when he loved us because he is love. He will always have it for you. I love Jeremiah 3.13. It says this. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's what our hearts desire. That's what we long for late at night. And you're only going to find it in and through God. His is the only kind of love that's a never-ending, unceasing, always and forever, unconditional love. But here's the thing. Many of us have heard that truth before. Like, yeah, 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 for God so loved the world, John 3, 16, whatever. Like, can we go now? <laughs> like, like, we've heard that before, but I'm not sure you've ever really heard those words before. You're supposed to experience the wonder of those words. That, that's the purpose of those words. Hearing them is one thing. Being jacked up by those words is another. And those words are intended to jack you up. It's, it's a good jacking, but it's a jacking nonetheless. Those words are meant to mess you up. And if they haven't, then then the truth that God loves you still has yet to penetrate your soul. You see, God's love is so good, so deep, so beyond our understanding that to adequately describe it, God has to use and again and again and again. God has to write the longest run-on sentence in human history to adequately describe how much he loves you. To try to put words to his love for you, he compares his love to every other type of love that we experience in this life. Let me show you. First, there's the the love of a friend, right? First is the love of a friend that God has for us. I want you to think bromances here, like like Harry and Lloyd, okay? Or maybe animated friendship like those in Toy Story. Now, show of hands, how many cried when Woody was walking away from the friends in Toy Story 4? What a gut-wrenching scene, right? Like, oh, And if you haven't seen it, well, spoiler alert, Woody walks away. There's a great scene, though, in one of the new Star Trek movies, of all the movies, that depicts this kind of love. Kirk is slowly dying behind some, like, glass gas chamber. Spock is standing helplessly in front of it. He can't can't open it. He can't break it, right? The music gets intense. The camera zooms in, and the two friends touch hands. Vulcan salute to Vulcan salute. Hashtag precious, right? Like, oh, so good. But there's just something about friendship love. Something about about someone who's not related to you in any way, 
who chooses to go out of their way to always walk with you along the way. That's, that's a friend, right? Friendship love is powerful. It's, it's a life-changing type of love. And one of the most amazing things I've ever learned about God is that he loves me in this way. John 15 says it this way. There is no greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for who? For your friends. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, Jesus says, I call you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. The God of the universe, the maker, sustainer, redeemer of all things, he loves you like your best friend loves you. A friend that knows you inside and out. A friend that's been with you through the thick and the thin. A friend that laughs at your corny jokes when nobody else will. God loves you like that. And. It doesn't just stop there. And he loves you with the love of a parent. Now I thought I knew what love was before I became a dad. But then I was in such a huge surprise. After these three sweet girls came into my life, everything changed for me. My understanding of love completely changed. And that's a little narwhal in the middle there. That was a Halloween, Halloween thing going on. But these girls expanded my understanding and expression of love a hundredfold. And I want to tell you this. There is not a single thing that these three girls could do that would ever get me to stop loving them. Nothing. I, I, I mean that. They could walk away from the faith. They could change their names. They could go on some mass killing spree. And there, there would be some pain and some suffering and probably some prison time, right? But I would still love them. I will always love them because they are mine. Because they are my flesh and my blood. They're my girls. They're my kids. And thus, anything in life, everything in life, I'll always love them. No matter what happens, no matter what life throws at us. That's the love of a father. And that's the kind of love that God has for you too. Several years ago, you've probably heard this story before. But it's the story of uh, Rick and Dick Hoyt. I thought I had a slide for that, but let's, let's go back just real fast. Rick and Dick Hoyt. Rick was born in 1962 as a quadriplegic with cerebral palsy. In the spring of 1977, at the age of 15, Rick told his father that he wanted to participate in, in a five-mile benefit run that some friends were putting on. Well, Dick agreed to push his son, his 15-year-old son, in his wheelchair for the entire five miles. Dick was not an athlete, he wasn't a runner, but he said, I'll, I'll do this for you, son. That night, as they were reflecting on the day, Rick, again, quadriplegic, cerebral palsy, told his dad, Dad, when we were running today, I felt like I was not handicapped. That started what would become over a thousand races for the two of them, including six Ironman triathlons which is where you have to swim and bike. I want you to look it up on the internet at some point if you have a couple minutes the next couple of days. It's fascinating to see the father pulling his son in a raft as he does the swim, biking with him on the back, running with him in his wheelchair. It's incredible. What would compel a grown man to do something like that? What would compel a grown man to go to that extreme and endure that type of pain? love of a father. That's what. Well, what would compel a grown man to go to the cross? What would compel a grown man to do this? What would compel a grown man to endure this kind of pain and suffering? 
Oh, it's the love of a father. That's what it is. It's the love of a father. And that's the kind of love that God has for you. 1 John 3, 1 says it this way. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Yes, God loves you like a best friend loves his best friend, but God also loves you like a daddy loves his daughters. It's a never-changing, never-in-question, never-in-doubt kind of love. You are his. You are his flesh and blood, and he loves you unconditionally. And, and, there's more, and he loves you with the love of a spouse. Isaiah 62, 5 says this, as a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a groom rejoices over his new bride, so will your God rejoice over this is a heroic husband kind of love. This is a notebook kind of love, right? The fault in our stars kind of love. This is the kind of love that grips us and stirs us. For me, this love is best depicted in the movie Up. Anybody ever seen the opening scene of that movie? The opening scene of that movie is probably the most emotional four minutes and 27 seconds that I've ever been through in my entire life. I was literally ugly crying in the theater next to my girlfriend at the time. Like, oh, I, I don't even know what's happening, right? In that movie, a man proved he loved his spouse with all of his heart, and he didn't even have to say a word. Or he demonstrated throughout his life and even in death that he was madly in love with his bride, and he didn't even have to say a word. He made it clear that his love was unconditional and would last forever. And he didn't even have to say a word. Now, friends, I really want you to hear something this morning. And my prayer all morning has been that you would finally hear it in the depth of your soul. The creator of the universe loves you like this. He loves you this much. He loves you like a googly-eyed groom loves his new bride. Don't believe me? Well, he loved his spouse with all of his heart. And he didn't even have to say a word. He demonstrated throughout his entire life and even in his death that he was madly in love with his bride. And yet he didn't even have to say a word. He made it clear that his love was unconditional and would last forever. And he didn't even have to say a word. See, you wouldn't do this for a pet. You wouldn't do this for a lab rat. You wouldn't do this just for anybody. You would do this for the lover of your soul, the one you love more than any other. That's why you would do the cross. And there is a reason that we get all sappy and emotional when we see love stories like that, because we were made for one. We're actually part of one. Our heart longs to be loved unconditionally in this way, and God says, well, I love you like that. That's exactly how I love you. God loves you like a faithful friend and like a fearless father and like a heroic husband and, 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 and. Maybe in life you'll experience somebody who loves you, you know, two out of three. Maybe, maybe it's two out of three. Let me go back to the list just so you can see. Two out of three for these, right? Maybe, just maybe, you'll have somebody who experiences or can show you or demonstrate love to you. Two out of three. Never all three. Because my love is limited. I, I can't give somebody all of those things. But God can, and God does. 
He loves you in all of those ways and then some. All right, so now why, why is all this important? Why is all this important, right? Well, for one, I just mentioned that your, your heart longs for this love. This is exactly what you were created for. This, this is what you desire deep in your spirit. But more than that, God's love is designed to empower you. It's designed to change you. The only way you experience a breakthrough in this life is when God's love finally breaks through into your heart. You with me? The only way you experience a breakthrough in this life is when God's love finally breaks through into your heart. Let me be honest just for a second as we wrap things up. I don't know about you, but I honestly fear that if I was really honest with you, if you knew everything about me, you wouldn't love me anymore. I don't think you'd even want me to be your campus pastor anymore. I am not as good or as godly as you think. And thus fear dominates my life. I'm afraid to be honest with you. I'm afraid to be transparent. I'm afraid to be real. I'm afraid in how I interact. I'm guarded. I'm tentative. I'm fake. And the Bible says stop that. Because perfect love should cast out all of that fear. All things that I'm so afraid of telling you, all things that I'm so afraid you're going to find out about me, all that stuff I can cast away because perfect love forces me, allows me to do that. Perfect love casts out all fear. It's designed that I don't have to be filled of shame or rejection or humiliation or disgrace or embarrassment anymore because God loves me perfectly. His love is the perfect love, and I don't have to be afraid anymore. I hope that's good news for you because it's really good news for me. But here's the thing. Your enemy, the devil, will not let you just live in God's love. That's why many of us don't believe it to be true because he will not let you rest in that truth. There is no way he will let you rest. So you, you get a bad grade in class. You mess up on the field. You do something, you, you give into a temptation of some kind. And this is, this is how it works. Now, what's wrong with me? Why did I do that? Which then morphs into, why am I such a screw-up and a failure? Which then morphs into, no one would possibly, could possibly love me. I'm a fraud. I'm a fake. There's no way God would love me. You see how that works? It starts off with one little mistake, one little lie, one little thought, and suddenly it morphs into this truth that God doesn't love you anymore. That is not true. That is not true in the least. Romans 3, 8.38 tells us nothing can separate us from the love of God. You know what that word nothing means? Nothing. And nothing means your stupidity can't separate you from the love of God. Your inadequacies can't separate you from the love of God. Your imperfections cannot separate you from the love of God. Your addiction to porn cannot separate you. From the love of God. The fact that you hurt yourself and cut yourself will not separate you from the love of God. The nasty things you've said about your body type will not separate you from the love of God. The hurtful things you've said to others will not separate you from the love of God. The mistakes you have made, the people you have hurt will not separate you from the love of God. The fig leaves you have on and the bushes that you're hiding in will not separate you from the love of God. Amen? Nothing can separate you. That's how good his love is. That's how good he is. So in your pursuit to find satisfaction to this desire, and stop hiding, and stop just hoping, start resting and believing and relying on the love of God. It is the greatest, greatest love you could ever hope to receive. The God of the universe loves you even though you're a stinky face. He loves you so much.
Hope you believe that to be true. Let me pray that over you. God, we pray that the truth that you love us will go from words on a page or words on a screen and be transformed into the mantra of our life, the banner that we live under. Help these words to pierce deep into our soul and our spirit that you love us unconditionally and all that we long for, all that we desire is found in you. Make it so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have an amazing week, guys. Stay strong.